At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We are living in someone's false ARG. This is what the Great Reset is. They're just creating what they want the next story to be. And we also seem to revealing right now to understand how this 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 realm works, so that we can walk through it with with greater awareness and consciousness. So then, going back to the whole thing of like you know, why does mysticism work? Why does why is synchronicity important? Why is looking at rivers, looking at where you are, important? Because that is a baseline reality which is deeper than the ARG. You are going to connect to something. That is the human experience. Uncle Mike, happy uh, Black Friday slash Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday, my friend. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. You're doing well? So what's going on? How was your Thanksgiving? Did you celebrate Thanksgiving? I did. I did. I'm not Canadian, so I did. Um, well, I am, but it was all right. You know what? I think, I think uh, the lack of Thanksgiving last year led to having better expectations for Thanksgiving, which ended up being disappointing. So <laughs> just uh, <laughs> just a typical, you know, family get-together. Just a tip, no, no fireworks, no drama? Well, that's typical. That's the typical family get-together. Oh, that is the, fa- the typical family get-together. Did Tara come with you? Yeah, yeah. For the first time, she uh, she came with me to a family party so that was kind of a big deal and uh and no i'm just i'm being a little bit uh exaggeratory because it was it was fun i think the biggest drama just ensued because i didn't go to my cousin's wedding and this was like my first time seeing him since so there's some grudges that had to be uh squared out so to speak is everything okay yeah, yeah, the grudge is on his side, not my side, so we'll see what happens, but so he's still holding on. I think so, and you know, it was it was as family drama usually unfolds, there was a lot more I'm sorry's than there was I hate you's, but <laughs> it started with a lot of like tough talk and mean words and you know, I'm I'm very sensitive. So when I walked in the room and I felt the um immediate sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it was, it was reproach, you know, this sort of 
reproach from that specific side of the family. And I just addressed it. I said, Hey, I couldn't make it to your wedding. It wasn't my fault, you know, that kind of thing. And that kind of led to a, to an argument because they think, uh, they, they had a different uh, idea of why I didn't make it than what I know to be true. So, well, it is, I mean, Thanksgiving has become so, so amazingly complex. Uh, particularly, you know, what's going on right now. Um, just in, in terms of everything with, uh, you know, with, with the medications and, you know, that sole right. sort of thing and where people stand on that. And so, but then also like the, the changing of the cultural narrative, you know, with, with the fact that, that Thanksgiving is a, a representation of the genocide, which was, which was done or a celebration of the genocide, which is, which was done across North America. And, you know, there's some truth to that, but then there's also truth to the fact that regardless of that, it has been instilled over the last hundred years that it is part of like the tradition of the, of, of how people celebrate family during, during the, the autumnal period. And so it's like so friggin' complex. It's, and, and, and what I think about when, when I'm saying this is, um, what I always thought was one of the best, uh, like kind of, um, uh, how to find your, your direction with problems. And it's, it, it was, if there is a problem, a natural problem, there will always be a solution, but man-made problems hold no solutions, or maybe even said another way, uh, when you see a problem where there's no solution, well, it's because it was man-made. And so like, <laughs> these would be like cultural pro uh, problems, like the, everything which, which we have go at like, you know, what I was just describing, with the complexity of the 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 intricacies of what Thanksgiving now or, or what has uh, you know what Thanksgiving has represented, it's like you know those are all true, but they were like you know they come from these man-made problems, which regardless if 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 they're true or not, it's like you know there's no easy way to work around it. It's like kind of like. You know, what do you do here? It's a, it's a, a quagmire. It's a tough place to be, which makes me feel even better. The fact that I, <laughs> I didn't have a Thanksgiving that really goes. Me and Jenny and my boys do a small one, but my family was down in Florida and I didn't, I didn't go down to that. And so it's, uh, um, it's, uh, it's just a weird time. So you guys just had the, uh, the four of you, Jenny's kids went with, uh, their father or such. Yeah. So. So we're going to go and do a, a larger one um, this weekend, a larger meal. And um, but on the actual night of Thanksgiving last night on Thursday, uh, no, it was just really low key, just the four of us. Okay. And my boys are going to do uh, something with their mother and, and that side of the family today. So that all happened. But um, since we're on the topic of family Thanksgivings, uh, I, I've I've told this story in in other uh, platforms before. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but can can I tell you one of my favorite Thanksgiving stories? Please, yeah. All right, all right. So this was, in in, in fact, <laughs> you know, looking at my own life and like you know what's going on right now in my personal life and what's going on in the, in the world. You know, it, this this to, this story I'm about to share with you is is maybe even more meaningful. So the story I'm going to tell you takes place in Thanksgiving. 2011, exactly 10 years ago. 
completely different world, right? <clears throat> so what was happening was uh, me and my then wife were going to, to um, host Thanksgiving dinner for, um, for the first time. And from my family, you know, what I grew up, my father always would host Thanksgiving and it was always a very big event to my family. And, and my, uh, my, my ex-wife, the same was true with her parents and they would host it. And it was kind of like, uh, we are, you know, it's a passing of the guard, if you will, passing of the guard. We're going to host Thanksgiving and both sides of the family were going to come and they haven't shared Thanksgiving together. And it was going to be like this really, really big, um, big deal in a lot of different ways. But to make uh, uh, two other two other uh, um, details which need to be added to this story was one um, – it was right before my 40th birthday. So my birthday is December 2nd. I'm about to celebrate my 50th birthday, but this was right before my 40th birthday. And, and you know, we, we kind of have within our culture, like any of the birthdays with a zero on the end of them, they're always, they're always like significant, whether you like, you know, you're consciously buying into it or not, like just being programmed through years and years of being in this culture. Like, you know, that's a big deal. It's a big time for, you know, uh, representing like a, a, a change in, in life. So, so that was going on. But then um, even deeper than that, uh, the Monday, the Monday following Thanksgiving, I was going to leave and I did uh, for a 10 day trip down to Peru to go to an ayahuasca retreat. And that was kind of how I was kicking off my, uh, my, my, my 40th birthday. All right. Right. So a big part of, of, of the whole ayahuasca experience and the preparation of it had to do with the, um, you know, the, the cleansing of the physical vessel of the body. And so for 30 days prior to, um, it was recommended by the the place that was that was putting on the the ayahuasca retreat. You know, they're like, here is the diet you want to follow: a very very simplistic, clean diet. You know, no meat, no sugar, no caffeine, um, no alcohol. All these sort of things. And I took that very very seriously. I was taking it very seriously. So there was this this kind of irony because. Um, I wasn't going to be able to eat anything on the Thanksgiving table. Mm. And it's like, you know, it's a big deal. Like this is the first time which, which me and Michelle, that's, that's the name of my ex. Uh, we were, we were hosting the dinner. So all of these different sort of variables are in play. And, 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 and I'm a good cook. I'm a good cook. Um, and, and I come from, you know, uh, these two different, sides of the family where where a good thanksgiving meal was a high value uh was highly valued within the the family um value system so all that being said all that being said this is 2011 um trying to figure out like you know how we're going to go and 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 cook for all of these people and like you know the room in the house and all this sort of stuff um my backyard next door neighbor the person who i shared my backyard with um he every year deep fried his turkey you know that's it's a popular thing it's a popular thing and, and you know it's, it's at the time it's probably more commonplace now 
Now, 10 years ago, it was a little bit less commonplace. I had never had a deep fried turkey, but I was completely aware that it existed. And I've always heard people who do it, they would swear by it. So my friend Mark, he says to me, he's like, hey, how about this? Because it's a lot of money for the oil. Why don't you and I, we split the oil, the cost of the oil, and then we'll both fry our turkeys. And it made so much perfect sense because it freed up the, it freed up the oven for other things to be cooked. Like everything uh, made, made sense that way. And then also because it was the first year in which I was going to cook. And because I like to cook and I want to do something different, I'm like, okay, this is this sounds like a great plan, Mark. Let's go and do this. And as I pass that information down to both my family and Michelle's family, like there was a lot of skepticism. Like, oh, you can't fry a turkey. I don't know about that. It's going to taste gross. All of these different things. There was a lot of doubt. But I had in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, like, listen, like, I've, though I haven't had a, fr- a deep fried turkey, like, I trust from all of the different things which I've heard from other people. I'm like, I think that these people are going to be surprised. I was thinking that I was going to wow them. So all that being said, all that being said, it's the day of Thanksgiving. It's 10 years ago, and it was an absolutely spectacular day weather-wise. It was probably like low 60s, uh, sunny sky, beautiful day. And my children were probably, what, they were like uh, four and five, and there's some other cousins a little bit older, and they're all playing in the backyard, and people are coming in the backyard. And one of the things with with a deep fried turkey is it doesn't take as long to cook as um, as uh, um, if you're going to cook in the oven. And so people were over, and I think it was like maybe, I don't know, like maybe 90 minutes to cook or something. So uh, I've been talking to my friend Mark, and, and we're getting all this stuff ready. And, and the two most important things about uh, deep frying a turkey are the temperature of the oil, and then the time you cook it, and that's all done by the weight of the turkey. And so assuming like you get that right, like it's a no brainer. It's a real easy thing to do. So we got everything right. Mark took like, I got the temperature right. Everything's ready. The timing's right. So we're going to cook it now and we'll take it and let it cool and we'll eat it like three o'clock, what have you. Everything is going to plan. So I walk over from my back from the back of my house and I walk over into Mark's backyard and um, I've got my turkey with me. And he's like, all right, let's go and drop it in. And so there's like this big like a like it's a, a metal handle with a with a chain and a big hook on the end of it. And so you you put the hook through the turkey and you lower it into the canister with all of the, the oil. We're doing this outside. And so we go and and lower the turkey. And when we lowered the turkey, we came up with a, uh, or a, a glaring mistake. A glaring error uh, became quite evident. You know what that was? <laughs> I really, really hope it's not what I think it is. <laughs> what do you think it is? I think the turkey exploded. Well, no, that did not happen. There wasn't <laughs> enough oil. We lowered the turkey oh. in and probably about like four inches, three inches were sticking out of the oil. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's disappointing. And I'm like, and I'm like ah, what do I do? Okay. And so Mark's like, don't worry. Don't worry about it. And so two things about my friend Mark, two things about my friend Mark. He is um, a notorious corner cutter. Like he'll cut corners. Like, hey, I'll cut a corner if I can cut a corner. He'll do that. And he's an immensely smooth talker. 
So when you combine those two qualities of his individual, you never know what you're going to get. And he looks at me, he's like, don't you worry about this. I do this every year. I do this every year. And all we got to do is listen, we just need to add like a couple inches of oil. Um, we just pour it on. We're going to cook for like five minutes longer and everything's going to be fine. And I'm like, are you certain, Mark? Because I think it takes a while to get the oil, and and we want to do it precise. Like I was reading all this sort of stuff, and we and and, and we want to we got to have the right right temperature of the oil and the right time cooking, and and we have to follow that. He's like, listen, listen, I've done this plenty of times. Just trust me, Mike. Just trust me. This is what we're going to do. So he goes and he pours the oil in to top off the uh, to the turkey, and you there's a temperature gauge of the oil. We can see it drop like I don't know, like let's say 50 degrees or whatever, whatever it had to drop by, and it wasn't at the right the right cooking temperature. And it takes a while for the temperature to change, and so we're watching the temperature coming and or rising up. Meanwhile, the turkey is submerged and it's bubbling and it's cooking. So all this stuff is going on, and he's like, "Okay, well, let's cook it a little bit longer." Or, or it ended up we cooked it for let's say ten minutes longer than um, what was recommended for the weight. No big deal. Like if you cook your your turkey in your oven for 10 minutes longer, you know, maybe part of it might dry out some, but it's not that big of a deal. So finally we get to the point where like, okay, we think it's ready now. So we put, uh, we, we, we submerge the hook back in to the canister of oil where the turkey is and catch the turkey. And then I lift it up. And this was a, you know, this was a big turkey. This was a turkey that was big enough, that was big enough for, um, you know, for a, for a, a, a family or multiple families for a lot of people. And when I took it out, when I took it out of the uh, canister, the turkey had cooked so much that it was about the size of a football. This unbelievably shriveled up, almost looking like a human head. It looked like oh. a friggin' human head. Oh like that. And it was the, it was, it was the, it was the, the, the saddest thing you've ever seen. You're like, there's no, there was nothing edible left upon it. And so I looked it out, and Mark gives me this look, this this absolutely priceless look, a shit-eating grin of like, <laughs> you know, and he kind of like shrugs his shoulders. He's like, what are you going to do? And so I lift up this turkey, and I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I got the whole family. Everyone's been 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 doubting and had questions and like you know all of the spotlight was on me but no one else and no one in the family was with me and mark in the uh in his yard as i pulled it out but most people were in my own backyard and so i i walked from mark's backyard into mine and imagine my my right arm is 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 extending out from my shoulder in front of me and i'm hanging the hook and there is this human head looking turkey, the most disgusting thing. And I'm walking through all of the family and there's gasps everywhere. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's ruined. Did he do it on purpose? I can't believe this. Thanksgiving is ruined. I knew this would happen. Like all of this stuff is happening. I have to take the walk of shame. I have to take the walk of shame. And so I go and I bring it in and um and I'm like, what's the unit? Part of me was like, there was part of me which wasn't that concerned because I wasn't eating any of it. But nonetheless, I don't want to go and ruin other people's meals. But I'm feeling all these different sort of emotions and all this sort of stuff, which is going on. Uh, a little bit embarrassed, pride, and all this, all, all of that's going on. And then my, uh, 
my father-in-law, an incredibly uh, sweet man, he, he comes over to me and he, he puts his arm around my shoulder. He's like, it's okay, Mike. I had a feeling that this would happen. And me and Kathy, we, we, we brought another turkey. <laughs> you got bailed out. <laughs> and I got bailed out. But here's, here's oh, the thing. Man. Here's the thing, which I think is interesting. So, like, that's a funny story. And, 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 and I like to go back to it. And, and then I went down to, uh, to Peru and, and, and had a really, really um, uh, uh, significant experience in my life. But I've always kind of linked those two, those two happenings of like, you know, kind of like what I was doing, my family, my whole family, no one understood the whole sort of uh, going to Peru and drinking ayahuasca. And that was a big talk of the table um, that Thanksgiving. Mm. But I've told this story many times because I think it's kind of a funny story. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of fun to tell stories where you are, uh, you know, you're not the hero. You're, you're not exactly <laughs> the vi- villain, but, you know, kind of self-deprecating. So I've told this story many times, but um, I made a, 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 or I saw a realization or had a realization just, just the other night. Um, I was talking to my two sons about Thanksgiving, what Thanksgiving was like when I was a boy and when I was a child. And when I was a child, uh, I was, I had an older sister. She was four years older than me and we weren't particularly close. And she was probably four or five years younger than the next youngest cousin on um, both sides of our family. Uh, so all of my cousins were, were much, much, much older than I was. And um, I didn't really have any siblings that were my own age. And the point being, I was kind of like, you know, though the family was, you know, it was a decent sized family. I never really had like the experience where you see a lot of people who've got like a lot of cousins or brothers and sisters and have that sort of rapport. I was always like too young and, and something like, you know, not really part of the whole sort of thing growing up. And as I, as I indicated, Thanksgiving was a, um, was a, a big deal in my family and particularly like, you know, uh, how good the food would be and they, they, everyone loved to eat. And when I was a child, uh, two things which you could say which would describe me as a child. One would be that, uh, like you said about yourself, um, currently, like I was a really like sensitive child. It's a real sensitive and sensitive means more than just like emotional. It's like you pick up on everything. You're sensitive. You pick up on all this sort of stuff. Right. And then secondly, I was a picky eater. I was <laughs> unbelievably picky. I was unbelievably picky. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm not so much to this day, but like as a child, I was and Thanksgiving, at least from my perspective of being this sensitive child with really no one in the family who was kind of like a peer to me, um, Thanksgiving was the opportunity for the family to ridicule baby Mikey. Like they would always like, you know, they would look at the food on my plate and just say like what, uh, and just like what felt like to me was a ridiculing on the fact that I wouldn't eat any of the other food. Like I would just eat like turkey and, and, and rolls. And so Thanksgiving came about uh, like, you know, deep in, 
if I were to hear this story from someone else, I'd be like, oh, well, that's definitely part of like, you know, the inner workings of what makes up the psychology of your personality, you know, your, your life experiences, and particularly anything which has uh, major emotional highs or lows. And this was definitely a place for me which had emotional highs or lows. So obviously, this plays into my uh, into the, the the subconscious. And so Thanksgiving has always been kind of a um, uh, historically in my life like a mixed bag because I would have to go to Thanksgiving and I didn't want to eat and I'd go with all of my family and I don't really you know resonate there's no peers of mine I don't have any family peers I'm kind of like off in the corner like they gave me like some Lincoln logs or something and then they would like make fun of me so it was not like in my in my personal history Thanksgiving was not a positive family experience. But then on the same time, my birthday was always like a week later. So like I was always excited about about my birthday. So I used to always look at Thanksgiving was like a hurdle, which I had to get over before I would get to the good stuff. And you got your presents on your birthday. So all of that being said, so I was thinking, I was telling that story to my sons. I was like, yeah, this is what, it was kind of like the old man when he was a child. And then I was like, motherfucker. Did I unconsciously ruin everyone's Thanksgiving? The only year I ever hosted for all my family, did I get my revenge? Because if I did that, <laughs> it was not a purposeful decision, but it undoubtedly happened. And it's very easy to recognize in other, in other people and be like, oh, yeah, these are like unconscious sort of things which are dictating your actions. But it's harder to do that to yourself. Because we don't – the whole idea of having a subconscious, which, which really dictates all of our conscious decisions and all of these sort of things, is that it implies that you have a, a, a big blind spot. You're not really making the decisions for the reasons which you're thinking you're making your decisions. There's a whole bunch of other complex reasons behind it, and I saw that in myself, and I just thought that was kind of funny. Wow. I mean, I'm saying, wow, not just at, on many levels, because, you know, I don't know if I've told you this before, but there are two other Marks in my family. There's my father and then there's my cousin. And much like you and your sister, me and my sister are much younger than all of my other cousins. So I was always, you know, little Mark instead of, you know, Mark with peers. I was little Mark. And yeah, very much kind of delegated to the corner. I usually had books that I would bring with me because there'd be like an hour and 20 minute drive up to my aunt's house. So I would read in the car and that would just uh, further, you know, reward my introspection. So I would just be very introspective and kind of to myself and, you know, my older cousins would kind of tease me and joke with me, but yeah, and then the picky eater thing, my cousin Lisa just told me last night she was, well, she was more really telling Tara to kind of, I don't know, maybe embarrass me or, or endear me, but she was like, yeah, Mark used to only eat white things. He used to only eat mashed potatoes, turkey, and bread. That's it. <laughs> Every Thanksgiving. And that was true. I mean, I was such a picky eater, so my jaw dropped a little bit when I heard you say that because I'm like, oh, wow, okay. No wonder why, you know, and, and I, I've never hosted Thanksgiving, um, properly like that. So we'll see what happens when it's my turn, but I definitely, we'll see what happens. I, well, and, and to your point about the subconscious 
and being able to recognize that, I mean, yeah, I think that's a big part of manifesting your own reality is to see what's blocking you to, and, and to get out of your own way. Uh, not, you know, in that case, cause you weren't intending on manifesting a perfect Thanksgiving, but you did sort of create something that was <laughs> possibly based on things that had been stored away in your subconscious. And exactly, yeah. exactly. So, and, and, and so one of the things when we, we talk about, like, there's this, there, there's a, uh, um, there's an idea of like, you know, the, the, the subconscious, it knows all, and there's a certain truth to that, but, but it doesn't always like work in our, our, uh, in our favor. But if we can start to get into the perspective of looking at, at like, what would be the motivation for doing something like, <laughs> like this example, uh, it gets a little bit less personal. And, and it certainly sounds like a little Mikey was, 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 trying to seek his karmic revenge i love it that's that's definitely uh yeah i mean you gotta you gotta laugh at that i mean considering uh how young your boys were i doubt they remember it did they have anything to say about that any memories of that uh yeah they remember that. oh they, they do oh yeah <laughs> cool. they, they remember me walking through the backyard they uh with uh with the human head, with the human head on. I mean, it was, it, I, um, there, to me, it sounds like a scene like from a movie. Like I, I would, I would imagine if I were a director creating a movie, that would be, that would be a great scene. I would think that would be very funny, but I was hoping we could switch gears a little bit and talk about the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade that happened yesterday. Please. Yeah. I'm sure the, Audience would love to hear about that. Um, Did you watch it? No. No. So I've never watched. I, I, I don't care for free. And it I have watched that, it, though, in the past, on past Thanksgivings, when I was much like younger. I've, like, I've seen it, like, or parts of it, but I've never been particularly drawn to it. Like, you know, that's just never been my hot button. Right. But for whatever reason, uh, I was watching it uh, a little bit yesterday, and there were a couple things which which jumped out, which I thought was, is worthy of at least bringing to our attention to discuss and to look at. All right. Cool. So, so the first thing I want to see, so what they do in the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving day parade is they often highlight different pop stars and they'll go and they'll sing on floats. Right. And, and so I saw a little bit of that and this was like my first taste yesterday. And though I, though I, uh, um, on a certain level, I like to keep my, my, my thumb on the pulse of popular culture. And in a lot of ways, like I'm completely ignorant to it. And so there was this pop singer who apparently is quite popular and I don't even remember what her name was. She had blonde hair and she was performing and my jaw dropped when I saw what, when what was happening and listening to the lyrics of this song and the lyrics of the song were, was basically, or maybe it was the chorus. It was like, uh, I w everything I want, I want now 
and I want you to go and buy it for me now. And if you buy it for me now, I'm going to be sweet to you. But then, but if you don't, I'm just going to be gone. And it had all of these dancers like dancing around with these large gold credit cards. And I'm like, this is about, this is, this is what's being promoted. Like to that level of, of just, just, um, of just, uh, I don't need, I mean, just the, the, the raw materialistic value. Like, I mean, obviously we live in a very materialistic, um, world or culture right now, but I could not believe how that was being celebrated. I was caught off guard by, by that song. Right. Like just the in your face commercialization of relationships, monetizing affection, I, I don't yeah, have no. any affection for you unless you're rich, essentially. And celebrating the person who's singing this. I, right. It was just, it blew my mind. So there was that. So that was like one touch point. The, the, the second touch point, which I want to bring up, is um, so Al Roker. Al Roker is, uh, you know who Al Roker is? It's like a, isn't he a weather guy? Yeah, he's like a weather guy, but he hosts the, the he's one of the hosts of this, of the of the Macy's parade, then he's you know he's like a like a a talking head, like very likable. You know that's how he's presented. Very, right. and so in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the Macy's parade, he gets a telephone call from Joe and Jill Biden. Wow! And it's 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 kind of set up like this. It's like you know Joe and Jill, they're they're. They're, they're watching the Macy's parade because it's part of the American tradition. And he calls in. He was so, you know, moved that he had to call in Al. And, you know, they do this whole sort of thing. And, and, and I, I'm pretty certain that, 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 that Biden said that um, it's the, the COVID is over. COVID is over. We have won. We have beat this. And, and, and the, the, thank, the return of the Macy's parade is a symbol of that. And so that was kind of the message which was being put out. Um, and, but that's not really, that was kind of like the, the backdrop of what caught my attention. What really caught my attention was a small detail. And so what they, what they indicated was Joe Biden was, he and his family were celebrating Thanksgiving at a private home in Nantucket, in Massachusetts. Mm. Okay. And, uh, you know, you're probably aware, like Nantucket is, you know, it's a, a, a summer uh, retreat location for the, you know, the, the wealthiest of the wealthy of the, of the Northeast. Right. And the guy whose house he was at, that, that was his good friend, David Rubenstein. Do you know who David Rubenstein is? No, first time hearing that name. So. David Rubenstein is the, uh, I think the title is CEO, whatever the title they use for the, the um, highest level position in the Carlisle group. Do you know who the Carlisle group is? Yes. All right. So what do you know, like just real quick, like, you know, you're, you're the, like, what's your understanding of the Carlisle group or how do you, how do you see them? They're one of these sort of, pseudo monopolistic company conglomerate type companies dealing with uh, either big energy military or some adjacent industry. And when, do you know, do you know what the, what really brought the Carlisle group to the forefront um, of 
primarily conspiracy researchers, but, but how that came about. No, no, remind me. So, okay, so that's, that's all 9-11. So right. Carlyle Group is, they're a private equity fund, all right? And so private equity funds are, you know, kind of like maybe you could think of like a mutual fund sort of like, you know, where, where like money comes together and they invest in, in companies. But private equity means that um, not just anyone, like anyone could go and buy shares within a, a, a mutual fund, but a private equity is, it's, it's private. Not anyone can join. There's usually like, you know, there's all sorts of variety of hurdles, you know, one of them being like minimum size of investment to, to become part of it. So, but, but it's a little bit different than that. Uh, a private equity is a little bit closer to a hedge fund than, than a mutual fund or, or maybe like a, a midway in between. But what makes the private equity and BlackRock, if you're familiar with like BlackRock or some of these, those are other private equity firms and they go and they invest heavily, as you said, like in, in like industries or companies like, uh, um, uh, energy or military or so forth. Now, what makes what makes Carlisle Group, which is based in Washington, D.C., so significant is many of its members, uh, employees or consultants, I don't know what word they want to use, they are former heads of state. So it is like, you know, the um, like the former prime minister of the UK, George Bush senior was like a notorious member of the Carlisle group. But the, the list goes uh, very long. I think Colin Powell may have been like uh, on the board or, or, or within the Carlisle group umbrella. And the idea behind that is that these are people who are in the know of trends and have relationships. And so like, you know, we're, we're able to get involved with like good financial deals from whatever like it's um, seemingly like a totally legal sort of thing but i mean certainly questionable and all of that sort of stuff just ethically speaking but the carlisle group is very much involved as you as you indicated with with military sort of things and the carlisle group was um front and center on the day of 9 11 be for a variety of reasons, um, one of them being one of the members of the bin Laden family was uh, having lunch or had a meeting or something like that. He was it was very uh, it, it, the evidence was undeniable that there is a direct link between the bin Laden family and the Carlisle family, the Carlisle group, which includes um, George Bush Sr. and all of all of like the the. Um, is it APEC? I can't even remember what it's called. The um, whatever the group of neocons, which is generally thought of to be the the people behind um, the events of nine eleven, and conspiracy researchers when they go um, a little bit deeper with the Carlisle group, like it's uh, the conclusion which is uh, reached by, and there's good evidence to reach this conclusion, is that the operation of 9-11 was a Carlisle group run project. Like, you know, that's exact, that's how the nuts and bolts of making something like that happen. Like it happened through the Carlisle group. And even more so the person who, who, it, who was responsible, who was responsible for, um, running that particular operation of the Carlisle group was their then chairman, a, a guy by the name of Frank Carlucci. 
And he was a chairman emeritus. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correct. It's a French word or a, a Latin word, but it means like, you know, chairman for life. It's more of an honorary position. Like if someone who's been a, maybe a chairman who has stepped down from his day-to-day operations, but he's still um, highly, highly valued within the organization. And this guy, Frank Carlucci, is thought of to be like the real mastermind for making it happen. Well, Frank Carlucci, you know, and this is like, you know, Mike's research or Mike's take or Mike's addition to all of that research. Um, Frank Carlucci is a Scranton boy, a Scranton, Pennsylvania boy. He's one of the people from Scranton. And I'm pretty certain you're familiar with like a lot of the work I've gone looking into Scranton. And one of the main one of the main points which I bring up is the amount of of um of, of kind of, I'll use the word demonic in its general sense, demonic people who are tied to, to, to Scranton. And, and I often use like, you know, Biden, Hillary Clinton, and Frank Carlucci as, as like examples of what I'm talking about, particularly within the United States government. And I've always, I've talked a lot about, about Biden. And one of the things, you know, which I see the Biden story is like Biden on one hand is a um, is a a tool of the DuPont family. And the reason why we know that is because he has been a representative of the state of Delaware for, I don't know, like 30 years in Congress. And Delaware, more than any other any other state is ruled by one family and it's the DuPont family. So you, you, you're not the, you're not the state representative for, for 30 years without being in the pocket of the DuPont. It just, it's just an impossibility. So, so it's often thought of as Biden is this DuPont boy, but I'm like, no Biden. Yes. He's, he's, he's on loan to the DuPont, but he's Scranton. He is Scranton mob because the, 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 the most powerful mafia family is a Scranton family. And to me, it's all connected. Biden, Carlucci, the mob, all of that is kind of this Scranton type of energy. So now, like, you know, I've, I've talked about that, but it's, it's more of like a, of a, a, I'm describing like a mist. Like there's no actual, you're not going to see any real um, conclusive arrangements and agreements between all of these people. It's just kind of like uh, um, uh, it's, it's suggested if you just follow all of the smoking guns. So all of that being said, so let me bring this all the way back to, to, to Thanksgiving. So where is Joe Biden calling from? Joe Biden is calling from the $20 million estate of the current CEO or chairman of the Carlisle Group which just goes and confirms everything which I've always been saying, which is this relationship which has never left between Scranton Boys, Carlisle Group, and, and the White House. It's just like, you know, it's the same players. They're all sort of connected. They, 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 their connection has never disappeared. It has not gone away. Right. So that was, the second, that was the second point. So I'm going to say one third point, and this is going to be much, much shorter, and then I want to hear what your thoughts are. So here's the third thing which also struck me is very, very interesting about the Macy's parade. So this is supposedly, I guess, the 400th anniversary of 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 the the first Thanksgiving, um, but there was also a uh, a ceremony 
done in the Macy's Parade, which was um, which was conducted by uh, current members of um, the Lene Lenape. There was, a, there was a, there was, and I think last year they did it also. They did it for the first time last year and they did it again this year. The Lenape, the people who, the peoples who supposedly traded beads and trinkets for Manhattan. Right. You know, this particular part of the uh, 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 subgroup within the Lenape, their current, the current, um, you know, inhabitants of that, of that lineage they they did a ceremony like a, a Macy's parade sanctioned ceremony, uh, um, kicking off the 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 parade. I'm reading this right now. Yeah. You're looking at. I'm sorry, I got very distracted. A couple things just happened in the house, and then also I'm I'm trying to. Because well, when you said it's the 400th anniversary, you know, I I, I see the, the story here, but I was just talking to a couple friends the other day, and it turns out that Abraham Lincoln, you know, made Thanksgiving a national holiday. It wasn't really celebrated until after the, the Civil War. But, but yeah, I, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something when I did my research uh, a couple days ago on this very topic of like what the first Thanksgiving looked like, cause we found a lot of things that just, you know, are whole left out of the the story, but I, you know, I'm sure you're, you've got something more to expand on that. Well, I mean, there's that, but I was the thing, and, and I don't necessarily have like a conclusive analysis. I'm just more so right. pointing out like, so what are we seeing here? We're seeing on one hand, we're seeing uh, uh, Biden telling the American people, you know, the, that, that COVID is over. And then the next day there was, you know, or today there's that uh, 800, uh, 800 point drop in the S&T, I think. It was like, you know, there was this, this false sense. I mean, this would be my guess. There was the false sense is like it's all behind us. Here in America, and there's nothing to worry about. Meanwhile, everything which is happening in Austria and Australia, um, we're we're past that, and and you know we're we're excited for the future. Meanwhile, they're telling you that there's this new variant which is just coming out. Like they're telling you these like very uh, contradictory sort of stories right there, which you know it's going to change. It's this kind of like uh, tension release, tension release, coupled with the fact that. That this Macy's parade, which is, uh, you know, evidently uh, and obviously part of, uh, you know, the worst values we can instill, like, you know, materialism and all of this, that the whole thing was kicked off. The whole thing was kicked off by this ceremony. Right. And like, how, how do you make sense of that? Like, where does that, how does that all line up? What is that, what does that point to, to you? How can you have both? Right. And so obviously both are there. So like the, the narrative where, where it both makes sense, you know, that's the one which, which makes sense to me. Like not one or the other. Like, well, this shouldn't be here because they're both there. So then there's what is going on? What are all of the different uh, ingredients in this, this symbolic display of the Macy's parade? Well, 
I'm looking at some pictures right now. They have the boss baby. They have people in masks, the turkey, all sorts of uh, Thanksgiving tropes. But I feel like I missed something. I don't know, Mike. This, for the first time, I'm not. I'm not quite following you. Can you get? Can you explain to me about the the ceremony? I understand that the Lenape had something to do with it, but the Macy's parade is kicked off by a ceremony, and they mentioned the Lenape. Did I miss? Something? No, they did it. Oh, they okay. did it. Okay, okay. Go and type in. Go look. Type in Lenape uh, Macy's uh, Macy's parade. Okay. Do you see the stories? Watch it on YouTube. Huh. So these stories... Would you think... Oh, wow. Okay, I see it now. Land acknowledgement and Wampanoag (laughs) blessing. So if everything which we know about Thanksgiving is is questionable, uh, you know, everything right. from, you know, and, and there is so much, and we talked about this in the beginning of our conversation, like, you know, Thanksgiving currently has become very, very complex because it's no longer just about like, you know, family traditions, but there's like a lot of awareness that, you know, well, the Thanksgiving story we've been told isn't exactly the Thanksgiving story that that really happened. And we look at 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 everything which has happened in North America since the arrival of the colonists in the 1600s, assuming all that is like you know an accurate uh, timeline. It's like it doesn't make sense. So what does mm. make sense is that the Macy's parade is just continuing and continuing to propagate these false stories and this false reality. Right. But then where this false reality supposedly began by the people who have been um, bamboozled, you know, as the alternate story, which is like the bamboozling. Like, if that is the case, then why did they kick this off? Why did this kick this off? Like, what else? What deeper is happening? Because there, it actually happened. Like, you know, the, 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 I can't speak for, for, for other people. And it would make sense that that w- the Macy's parade would be the last place that you would do a ceremony. Right? I would imagine. For what it represents. But that's not the case. Right. There is an there is a perspective, there is an angle in which that was that was that was decided upon whoever it is within the uh, within the Lenape folk to say like yes, this is something which we're going to go into our ceremony to whether uh, it's an implied endorsement, it's an implied endorsement, but I don't know uh, why does that happen? How does that happen? What else? What other? What else is 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 afoot? And that I don't have, like, you know, I leave that as more rhetorical. Um, I think it's more thought-provoking because any any sort of conclusion or, or narrative which, which you and I are saying would just be, like, kind of our our own tale of, of it. But it's um, that, to me, was the, the most confusing. Seeing, like, a pop star singing ridiculous songs, that didn't surprise me. Seeing Joe Biden call in and saying, like, all of his sort of stuff, that didn't surprise me. I expected to see that. But you know what I didn't expect to see? I didn't expect to see that ceremony. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's definitely you know, the whole thing to me from my perspective, I just write it all off as 
materialistic and and there is a ritual to that because I don't know and maybe I'm completely biased or something in the extreme but when I see something like that I just I'm just like oh okay they're trying to program us to spend money and no coincidence that Black Friday today the is the day after you know we all sit around uh with a day off from our slave wages with our family and watch these sorts of things the parade and then football obviously follows and uh yeah i mean it goes it goes back to the sagas we've been breaking down in other episodes with you know piecing together with evidence and and lesser known accounts the stories of what actually happened in the time that this country was founded and, you know, like the alchemicalization, the alchemy side of things. I mean, I know you're not making any conclusions, but in my mind, that's how alchemy is practiced on a mass level consistently uh, using the calendar, using mass ritual. And, you know, this often I think gets misconstrued as a karmic thing but I think the idea that they give us clues as to their, you know, plot, their agenda, their evil, whatever, whoever they is, I think that idea isn't just a karmic thing. I think it's something to do with subconsciously programming us so that, yes, 400 years later, we are so, you know, in a fog, we have no clue what, how our country got started. And all we remember are the quotes that they you know, keep in the edited textbooks and, and all the nice things and, and all how the, the indigenous people were unable to, you know, do anything to stop us because we were just so advanced and they were doomed and all this stuff that we know is untrue. Now, seeing that the Native Americans are still around, they're still alive and kicking uh, and in great numbers too in some places so it's not like they're wiped out but there's definitely a huge loss and I think maybe they wouldn't have had it that hard if there wasn't this consistent emphasis on this ritual each year I don't know maybe people would have people would have uh realized but there's this narrative that gets reinforced every year every year so I think people just have this idea like, oh, this is our country uh, and, and we have to be grateful for those ancestors who had such a hard time uh, making their way here. And all of that is true. You know, I'm not taking sides, but I think that there is sides uh, and, and the side that's connected to those groups through these financially, uh, like the Carlisle group, these very wealthy influential players who have had a stake in the game for possibly that long or longer, you know, this is how they roll. They use this mass alchemy ceremony, holiday creation. These are tools to keep people on a yearly schedule and keep people within that modicum of control, the system. Undoubtedly, I would. Agree. I I I'm on the same page with you regarding all of that and 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 ceremony and ritual and how that propagates. Um, 
you know, a story over and over and over each year, each year it's, 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 uh, reinvigorated, if you will, or built upon. Right. So our, um, our mutual friend, Jesse, you know what I'm talking about? Of course. Yeah. He, he actually just do. sent, uh, some really cool diagrams that he made of the Appalachian mountains and his, what he was relaying to me was that he was looking at the Appalachian mountains and he kind of dawned on him that it looked like a spine. So he took a, a diagram of a spine and he lined it up with the, you know, sort of zoomed out map of the United States focused on the East Coast. And then he took, you know, the chakras and applied it to there and found like distinct zones uh, corresponding to the various chakras along the spine. And then he also found uh, sorts of like valleys and whatnot uh, associated with the various um, vertebra. Uh, I've seen that, and it's 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 definitely a really interesting and thought provoking diagram and implication of what he, what he's suggesting that 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 certainly lines up with our interest in like energy lines, natural earth energy lines, and stuff like that. But what, where I was going with Jesse is um, you're aware that Jesse dropped out of law school uh, one semester before graduating. Are you I familiar? Not, are, no. You are. So, and this just happened uh, about a year ago. And the reason why he dropped out of law school one semester before graduating was um, as he went through, as he was going through law school, um, his his worldview changed. His worldview changed, and he began to see um, the legal system for what it is. Now, so that, like, now that you mention it, I think this is what we discussed when I met Jesse. Probably so. Right. And so, so that's in a a symbolic, in a in a literal and a symbolic gesture. He's like, you know, I've come so close to the finish line. I'm not going. I, I am not going to go through with it because what this finish line represents is reprehensible to me as an individual to become aligned with, particularly knowing with what, what I know about now. So he, he um, dropped out of law school, top law school till. Um, but that being said, but that being said, obviously if you have, you know, I don't know how many, how many credits or semesters it, it, it's for law school. I think three years, you know, you take three years worth of is, is how long law school is. I think, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but he obviously has a um, more than average, uh, more than the average person's understanding of the law, right? I mean, that's just naturally going to happen right. if you if you spend you know all but one semester in law school. And his area of interest, since uh, and where he's been applying some of that uh, his his knowledge, his area of interest has to do with like false contracts and specifically uh, the United States government um, claiming rights to things which uh, through contract trickery um, to to get what they want, particularly land acquisition. Mm. All right. That's his hot button just in general as it relates legally. And so I, I've heard him talk about that sort of stuff a lot late, uh, lately. So, you know, as we're talking this, this kind of his, his, as I heard you talk about um, what you were just saying with all of the alchemy, what, what popped in my mind, and I was thinking, um, you know, 
from from Jesse's perspective and everything which we're saying. Um, there, if you know and I know that that the original contract, though it was it was followed and and maybe by force of this land grab, which which happened four hundred years ago. Um, you know, maybe as, as, as we're seeing, uh, you know, the, the movement of what's happening in the world is as maybe moving towards a, 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 a Hunger Games district world where you're allowed to go and not allowed to go. Is that seemingly becomes more of a reality as the metaverse full time in an artificial reality becomes more uh, and more of a reality for how people are going to spend their lives, like the idea of um, having to uh, having all of this land is is less is, isn't as important anymore because there's a new there's a new um, there's a new uh, territory in which to be conquered, mm. and possibly like when I'm listening to what Biden says, this thing is over, and we're seeing this ceremony almost a reclaiming. You know, maybe that's what 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 that ceremony is. And the reason why I uh, uh, reclaiming of the land, um, the reason why why that's kind of popping off in my mind is, you know, this is and in, 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 who knows maybe I'm I'm totally off base here, but but I had been thinking about this and I saw something yesterday morning which which kind of supported these ideas I've had for a while, which is um, the. Uh, when you alter the human genome, like DNA, uh, and if it's done through a patented process, uh, the the altered genome by a patented process is now the altered genome becomes the property of the patent holder. Indeed, yeah, I uh, right, I was saying right? this right right from the beginning. You know, I've been saying it too, right? It it, it just it just makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's the exact same model which was done for all of the genetically modified seeds. It's like, well, guess what? Like, you know, if you're going to have, we own it. We own this. Yeah, you might you might be the farmer, but we own own we all own of that. There's a precedent. There's a precedent. Well, no, it's 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 this. That would be for like you know agriculture. But if you've been if your if you have taken a a, a DNA modifying um, patented product, you maybe by law, maybe not uh, by 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 the law which is written. Which I'm going to go in and link this to this idea of these false laws of 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 the claiming of the physical land. You know what we're talking about as it relates to Thanksgiving. You know maybe that's done now because now we're just owning the people. We're just owning the people, and how are we going to own the people? Because now you are. You are a um, anyone who has received whose DNA has been altered. You have now agreed upon, you know, unbeknowingly, uh, that you are an owned property. You are no longer a human being. You are something else. And what, why that's important legally is because hu- because then all of the 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 uh, uh, international law about the rights of a human being no longer apply. It no longer applies. And the reason why this has popped up in my mind is because there was a uh, – I saw or I read a, uh, an article about um, this Argentinian researcher who, whose um, 
specialty has to do with like immunology and, and biology sort of stuff, but it had gone deep into a, a Supreme Court precedent case from 2012. I think it was like the Association of, uh, of Microbiology Pathways versus some company. But in that, in that legal case, it was demonstrated this whole idea that if you, that if you own the genome, an altered genome, and it is a patented process. Well, then you now own you now own the patent holder owns whatever has been altered. Is this what we're looking at? I don't know. I don't know, but it does make sense. It does line up. Right. Yeah, I just imagine you know they'd have to be very sneaky about it in the sense of like. I feel if they let the cat out of the bag now that everybody who's received that um, is no longer protected under those rights, I mean, that would cause a huge uproar, or it wouldn't, which would be very depressing. But then, again, the other side of me is thinking, like, well, what does that mean for people who don't have it? Now we have a, you know, a real reason to you know, out ourselves in the sense of like, if somebody imposes on your human rights, you might want to say, well, Hey, I'm not uh, one of those guys. I'm, I'm still a human being. And then in which case, you know, what does that mean? Are you, are you going to be enemy of the state for that? Or, you know, like how is that going to pan out for us? Which I think the agorists, all the agorists out there are trying to move to other countries or, or move to other states and start their own kind of off-grid communities for that exact purpose, just so they don't have to be tangled up in this web anymore. So I, I, I think that, that, that that's all, you know, all of those, those are valid questions which we need to ask ourselves because we're seeing things unfold right now before our eyes, which, which seemingly doesn't have a precedent. Right. So let's go back to at least the stories in which we have been told as to what had happened 400 years ago with, um, with like the the uh, the the land um, pat, uh, acquiring the land from the people who were living in it, specifically like Manhattan. The whole idea, the story is, is that Manhattan was acquired through a trade for um, be, uh, for all of. The, the island of Manhattan for like beads and some other like, you know, valueless uh, uh, trinkets. And the story goes like this. The reason why the um, why the native population agreed to this is because from the native population's uh, context of what reality is. Guess what? No one can own land. Land is not in something which can be owned. It's something greater than that. You can't own own land. So certainly, I'll go and <clears throat> I'll go and I will trade you these beads, which are real things, for like you to have rights for something which you don't, which you can't own. That doesn't, you know, that your 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 laws written on paper hold no value in the greater scheme of things, and there is an absolute truth to that. But when the law of the land is applied, it gives a justification. 
So going to what back to what we were just saying with like the human genome. So you're going to have a human being right now who maybe who who has had their their DNA altered through through a a, a gene altering technology. They're like, oh, you can't own me. I'm a human being. That doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. They say that that's not true. But as we have seen. Uh, or at least the story which is given to us about what happened 400 years ago, regardless if you think it's a ridiculous concept or not, if there is, if, if all of the people follow the law, uh, the, the, the law as it is written, well, then that becomes what people are, that, that, that pre, that takes, pre, that takes um, more precedent over the fact that you don't think that you can own another human being. Like that's, that's, the question which I would have, like it's it's less about what you think can be owned or not owned, and more so about like, well, these are the laws and these are the laws we're following. Now, to your last point of like, what what becomes of the people who have remained human beings? Um, I think you're absolutely right. The 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 creating these breakaway civilizations are um, are are the alternatives. Like, well, okay, well. Well, if I'm no longer in that that world, I'm no longer uh, a part of of the of the culture which now owns uh, former human beings, which are now uh, ownable uh, patented products. Um, I'm not part of that world. Perhaps we're gonna, <laughs> if not everyone is round up and, and executed, it's just going to be separate. And is that what we are seeing with all of these uh, comments? From let's say Joe Biden, the coming back, it's all coming back, tied in with this uh, um, ceremony which kicked off the 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 Macy's Day Parade. Yeah, it's all coming back. Wow. Okay, now I have a whole new perspective on that. Yeah. Um, you know, Biden is creepy. <laughs> He's been creepy. I wouldn't put it past him, but I, I will bring up some hope in the sense that uh, I don't know how much I can trust this, but it sounds nice. I don't know if you're familiar with Cliff High and his web predictions, right? So he recently uh, joined Sam on his show, and they had a great conversation. And what Cliff said is with his web bot predictions, he sees the 2022 spike uh, spiking on the good side, whatever that means. You know, he has a way of reading his machine and right. how the statistics right. come through. But according to those statistics that he gets through his web bots, he says that the future looks bright. So whether that means, you know, the the metaverse in, enslaves half the world and then the rest of us are freer because of that folly. I mean, I, I, just, I just listened to... The Wizard of Oz, the uh, the whole audiobook yesterday. I finished it, and um, and it, it's interesting, like the the way Frank Baum puts these conclusions together, and then leaves them open. And I feel like that's just the way life is, and that's what he's trying to tell the characters and the listener, or through the characters to the readers, is like. You know, just because Dorothy's back in Kansas doesn't mean the story isn't done for her. You know, and uh, and I feel like we're definitely we're definitely not back in Kansas yet, so to speak. 
Well, I, I think that's my whole point with all of this. My whole point is what is back in Kansas? I like what you said, the analysis, the analysis of Cliff High. I am optimistic about the future. Right. But what I'm also, though, is clear on what it is not going to be. So, so the fact that it's becoming more and more evident that the mainstream narrative was not true and all of these players are in question and you can begin, we're beginning to see in larger and larger numbers what exactly is transpiring. And I don't know what's going to transpire, but that is getting bigger. And so where does that go? I know where it can't go. It can't go back to the system it came from. What are you going to do? You're going to recognize all of this and be like, okay, okay, let's get rid of these guys, but go back to Federal Reserve Banking <laughs> Systems? Like the entire system. That's what I mean. Like you can't go back to Kansas because this box, it's the same, it's the same thing it's always been. We've just been – we, we have a vision of what it should be, and the vision for each person of what it should be is most likely what life was like during their first 12 years of life. But that first 12 years of life for everybody who's alive now has always been part of it. The only thing which we can do is leave it entirely. And that, to me, is very, very exciting. And so that's where, like, I think all of the optimism is, is we begin to realize, like, all of the bullshit which we have assumed to be true. Whether it be like these ridiculous laws of like who owns what. Can you even own anything like this? All of these technologies, are these things that we want to participate in? You know, these are questions each person needs to ask themselves. But that is the optimism in my opinion. Right. Well, and I think the, the case with these on like a philosophical level that we have been discussing this on, like they're like parasites. The system is like a parasite. And I think a parasite is nothing without its host. It's like a self-destructive entity. You know, it gets into something that's working as it should and then puts in its, you know, programming, however a parasite functions, you know, whether it's through certain cells that go and attack other cells or whatever it's doing, it's ultimately, you know, the destruction of the system that is its goal, you know, and once the system's destroyed, the parasite in theory dies unless it's able to somehow go to another host. So, you know, I think what the case is, is that we're as a, as a earth, we're not going to like be overcome by this parasite. I think whoever stays in that system is going to just slowly be, you know, reorganized out of this reality into that self-destructive parasitic reality that's getting smaller and smaller. I don't know if if that's an uh, you know f a conclusion either because there's no <laughs> nothing that says there can't be a new parasitic system that's formed. But I think that's how this thing these things operate is they're inherently uh, limited in in the sense of time and scope. I, I think the I think the parasite um, the use of the word parasite is both um, accurate as a metaphor or an, an analogy, but it's also completely accurate in in material reality. This is absolutely what it, it's parasitic, 
And so by understanding physical parasites, you understand what this, what this parasitic, um, uh, whatever it is, whether it's like a, a interdimensional thing or, or I don't know, uh, but it's parasitic. And so when you understand the parasite, not from an idea, but from like studying the parasites, then you'll have a better clarity as to what's happening. So what a parasite does is you're absolutely right. It only can live off of a host. And what happens is it, it sucks the life out of the host and then it goes on to another host. Like that's what a parasite does. But how a parasite works is through mind control, literally through mind, through like physical parasites. It's um, what there, there's a word for it. Um, it's called neuroparasitology, and it is the emerging branch of science that deals with parasites that control the nervous system of the host. So like when we think of physical um, parasites, we know that they feed off of sugar. And so what they do is they make the host, they are able through their, their you know, I'm going to use the word mind control, through their mind control, they're able to, to make the host crave what the parasite wants. Absolutely, absolutely to the, um, uh, uh, to the detriment of the host. But the host thinks that they really want it. And so that's what this whole system, like and particularly when you're talking about like the alchemy of, of what we see in this Macy's parade is like it is reinforcing a certain idea or belief system. And what that does is that perpetrates certain sort of actions, behaviors, emotions, what have you, uh, which then are serving the parasite. Right. The the host gets nothing out of a relationship. There are relationships in the material world which are mutually um, beneficial. Where where what what one thing needs is um, exactly what the other thing doesn't need or is getting rid of, and and vice versa. I mean, just think of the relationship between carbon dioxide, oxygen, trees, and human beings. Um, so there are. There are real relationships in the material world where both parties benefit, and then there are there's this parasitic relationship where only one party benefits, and they trick the other one into wanting into wanting what the parasite wants. Mm. So as we're discussing all of these things, uh, these ideas like legal legally like tricking people and all this sort of stuff, that's all parasitical. As we become more and more aware of what that parasite is, or at least how it shows itself in our lifestyle, then it becomes clear like, whoa, 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 I don't need this parasitic relationship anymore. But there is going to be a period of like, well, what does it look like to not have a parasitic relationship? Well, and I want to even add another definition because I think, you know, a parasite is sort of fixed to a closed system, right? Uh, organism is a closed system, whichever it is, whether a bird, a fish, human being, there's certain things that come in and out, but for the most part, we're a closed system, you know? Uh, Certainly. And I think parasites, the the level of parasite we're discussing is on a metaphysical maybe even a medic, like a conscious level, a collective level, and it's operating in an open system to pull you like an egregore into a closed system. I think that's a, like a distinction, but that closed system can only exist as more hosts are added to it. Like the less hosts, the less powerful it is, right? So 100% right. 
right. 100% right. I would absolutely. And that's why I was saying, like, I don't understand what this parasite is, which we're talking about, because it is it is beyond like we're we're existing within it. We don't quite understand what it is. Right. But but I will say this. I'm a, uh, when I'm done here, uh, when we're done with this conversation, I'm going to record a presentation and it's the metaverse presentation, which I've been working on for a while. And in the metaverse video from 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 Zuckerberg, there is there is a uh, uh, um, there is a scene in it where it shows something which they are calling digital art. And I'm going in my presentation rather detailed like this. Look at what they're showing you as this this example of digital art. This is a digital representation of a parasite, like what parasites look like, like literally. Right. <clears throat> And so it's it's all around us. It's all around us. Like, you know, they, whether you call it with Tico, whether you call it Archon, whether, you know, this idea of these interdimensional or, or non-physical, non-material parasites is like, that's been out there. But we're, we're seeing we're seeing the host change. Right? We're, that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the host body change. And we have this opportunity to either go into the host body or to recognize kind of what's going on and do something new. But I think that's that there's, you know, that's that's the excitement of what lies before us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I used that picture you're talking about for one of the episode artworks for the the I think episode eight or nine when we talked about the metaverse. Um, All right. But yeah, so people might be familiar with that image that you're bringing to mind. But yeah, I'm excited to watch that listen to that when you when you're ready uh when it comes out anything you want to hopefully i hope well i mean (laughs) so i'm calling it from uh changing from meta to meta Mm. all right right and so one meta spelled with two t's and one meta spelled with one t right all right. And so meta uh, with one T refers to the metaverse and all that's being um, laid out before us. But there's a Buddhist concept, which is called meta with two T's. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, there's like a meta world piece is, a, is like a person that took his name from that concept. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Ron Artest? Yes, yes. So meta meta is a... The word is Buddhist, but or tied to Buddhism, but it it the concept is not a, is not limited to Buddhism, and it is a literal approach to life of loving kindness. Okay, and loving kindness. So, in so the reason I'm bringing this up, you said, are there any teasers? So that's where I'm going to go with this presentation. Is I'm going to lay out all the stuff as it relates to um, to the Zuckerberg presentation and tie that into a whole bunch of movies and saying like, look where this is leading. This is undeniably leading to this place. But then we live in an inversion world. And so let's go and invert, invert the concept. And so then going down into this idea of, you know, there's meta this, which is very ball esque. If you ask me, very domination oriented versus the idea, which is meta with two T's, which is a completely different approach to how we view each other and our life around us. So that's, that's, that's where I want to go with all of that. Love it. Looking forward to it. I, uh, I've been sitting with this. I've been working on it for about 30 days. So today's the day which I'm going to go and record it. Um, 
In fact, I'm probably going to record it. I think we said that we were only going to talk for about 90 minutes today, and we're probably just about at the 90-minute period. Once uh, once we get off, I'm going to go and record that. So this was kind of my uh, uh, preparation for doing Ooh. that. All right. My warm-up. There we go. Very cool. Yeah, and I did, I did have uh, one or two more things to add because – uh, Tara and I went on a really interesting walk. We found like sort of a bike path. It wasn't really even a hiking trail. It was like a bike, a biker's path. So we, we went off trail and just kind of explored and people can see it on the Instagram, but I found a, a boulder three, three, four feet wide, uh, maybe one foot off the ground on a sloping hill with a, a garnet right in the center, just kind of in this matrix of rock, a, a garnet. How big of a garnet? Uh, about the size of a quarter, possibly. Yeah, like a quarter. Uh, for those not in the United States, the size of a large man's thumb, <laughs> I would say, because I'm a large man and my thumb was about the size of it. But it was a, a spectacular like time to see it because the sun was coming through the trees and it, it came through it, in this one facet of the garnet uh, when I took a picture of it. So it's a, it's a really nice uh, sight. And I was just so kind of enamored, like, wow, imagine how many years ago or so, like there might've been rocks like this everywhere. And, you know, over time people just come along and, and chisel them away. Cause you notice when you look at the, the picture somebody had either come along and, and tried to chisel it out or, and they didn't do a great job of it. And they kind of just roughed up one facet, but, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting to see that just out in plain sight like that. I mean, obviously we weren't right off of a trail. We kind of were bushwhacking a little bit, but yeah, that was, that's what I've been doing lately. Just really trying. I'd to, love to see the picture. Yeah. I'll send it to you. I, uh, yeah, I've really been trying to get more and more familiar with the, the geology and the mineralogy of the land. So that was a, a nice find this week. And then the other thing, I, I uploaded some more uh, YouTube episodes from your YouTube to the podcast feed here, the Susquehanna Alchemy podcast feed. And I noticed that you had interviewed Hotep Jesus some eight months ago or so. And I'm wondering uh, how you felt about that, and and are you interested in doing more interviews? Because it seemed like that was a, a one-off. I know you said you're not really uh, too keen on on doing anything over the computer anymore, unless you're really passionate about it. But what are your thoughts on interviewing people? Um. Well, you you just you just explained my. Uh my internal my internal struggle because there's this one part of me which is like i know that i know that what the internet is is something i don't want to feed but i also know that what the internet is is an incredibly valuable tool right now also in order to to connect with people and create with people and stuff like that uh I love interviewing people. I would love to interview more people, but um, at the same time, I'm like, well, how do I balance that with, with, with keeping an integrity within myself? And, and that's something which I don't have a clear answer to right now. Well, here's, here's my thought. My, my suggestion and my reason for bringing this up is 
I'm thinking maybe not every week, not even, you know, every two weeks, but once a month we find a guest whose book either of us own. So, you know, as you're going through your week, if you find a book on your shelf that you're like, oh, yeah, I'd love to talk to this author, send it to me. I'll do my best to get in touch with that person. And I'm thinking maybe we, we start doing something like that once a month where we have someone on whose work we're familiar with or who is relevant to, like, the sort of themes that we're creating here with this show. I would love to do that. Cool. I think the I think the uh, the audience definitely loves the the Ross Ben conversations. So I'm excited. I do want to let people know that this month, December, Ross and Mike will be on Tinfoil Hat. If all things work out, you know, sometimes Sam does reschedule, but I I really don't think he'll do that for this one because it's a Wednesday in the middle of December and he's not doing many uh, road gigs this month. So should be a, a awesome conversation. I'm looking forward to that and obviously looking forward to the metaverse presentation. And, uh, and yeah, Mike, another good conversation. What do you think? I, all, I was, I was excited to talk about all the Thanksgiving stuff. I appreciate the, the wide berth to talk about a bunch of different things seemingly unrelated i had a great time i hope you did as well my friend and i'm excited about uh if you can bring in uh if you can bring in a third person i'm always down cool cool yeah and turns out you and i are a little more alike than we knew we both uh were picky eaters and the youngest of our our clans there we go. Common ground is a very important thing to recognize with other people. Right on. Well, thank you folks for listening. Uh, the Susquehanna Alchemy Feed, your handbook for the apocalypse coming to you every week. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. <laughs>